<laughs> Thank you, Stephen. It's good to be here sharing with you this morning. One of the really fun things for me about being a pastor is getting to prepare, is getting to dig into scripture in a way that I really might not otherwise necessarily. So this is fun for me. Uh, as I started to think and prepare for this uh, last week, um, I had this passage as we go through this sermon series on the Gospel of John. I thought, oh, I should definitely do this passage. Like if you're doing a sermon series on the Gospel of John, you have to do this passage. And then you know how sometimes there are things that you think you should do. And then you realize what you really should do is take a walk in the beautiful weather or whatever. I just really felt an invitation to not do that passage, but to be in chapter 1. And so I just got really excited about this passage from chapter 1. So that's where we'll be this morning. Chapter 1 is the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He spent 30 years as a relatively normal Middle Eastern man of his time, from what we know. So when he starts his public ministry, people have a hard time figuring him out. People always have a hard time figuring out Jesus. He's not what you'd expect from God. There are no thunderbolts. Uh, his power is relatively constrained for the God of the universe, but he's not what you'd expect from a person. I mean, even a very spiritual person, he's baptized and like the heavens open, words are heard from, from heaven. That's not what you'd expect from your most spiritual person. He's very knowledgeable in the Hebrew scriptures, but his miracles, signs, and wonders Put him in a very different category from a religious teacher. He's not a faith healer because of his teaching. And he's mobilizing a, a crew of followers in a way that's really different, right? He isn't bringing people to him as a destination. He never sets up a shrine, never starts a center. He's starting a movement that's bigger than him, his social teachings on the poor and social justice, make him almost more of a social reformer than they do an individualized religious teacher. There's just really never been anyone like Jesus. You know, when I first started getting serious about following Jesus, when I, I felt God calling me into a lot more, I was kind of scared. And I had two major objections. I was an 18-year-old starting out in college, and my two major objections with following Jesus I thought I would only be able to date Christian boys, and God would make me a missionary. Now, dating Christian boys per se wasn't problematic. It's just I didn't know any, <laughs> like any. And being a missionary just sounded like awful, like you leave everyone you love, everything you like, like you just leave everything. And But I changed my mind, and God changed me. I changed. My opinion of Jesus changed. Uh, one of the authors I like, she talks about... Um, the first person she kind of brought to Jesus and introduced to Jesus. She, she said to this woman, she was in college also, you know, come over to my dorm room and we'll read the Bible together. I've got um, great chocolate. They, she'd just come back from Switzerland or something. We'll eat this wonderful chocolate and read the Bible. And this girl she was talking to, like, very, you know, not religious or anything, but she was kind of offended that, like, you would eat chocolate and read the Bible, like, clearly. This is not serious. Like, you know, Jesus is obviously more of a salad person than he is a chocolate person. I think if you'd asked me what kind of food I would associate with Jesus before I started following Jesus, I think it would be the meal that I ate every single morning for the first 18 years of my life. My, my father was in this all-natural food co-op, and he'd come back with, like, these 
five-gallon jars of like lentils or something. He'd be like, look kids, lentils for all winter. And every morning we would eat oatmeal, all, all natural, however they made it back in the 80s. And they'd be like husks from the oatmeal. You just take them out. And when I say we ate oatmeal, I mean we ate oatmeal. We did not eat oatmeal and raisins. We did not eat oatmeal and cinnamon or brown sugar. Like if you got raisins, it was somebody's birthday. <laughs> Stephen doesn't know how I ate growing up. I'm like, <laughs> I was hungry, I ate. But that's what I would have associated. It's virtuous. It's efficient, it's healthy. You may hate it, but it's good for you. I think that's what I would have associated with Jesus. You may not like it, but it's good for you. I changed my mind. I've changed my mind about many things. I used to not be a dog person. I now like country music, and I've changed my mind about Jesus. All of us who follow Jesus have probably changed our mind about Jesus. Unless we were raised in just a perfect Christian home and a perfect church and a super healthy family. You know, we've changed our mind about Jesus. We've, we've had some, some questions, some impressions of him that are other than what he is. And Jesus' first invitation to us is to experience him as he really is. God created us for relationship with him, and if we spend some time with him, we'll start to change our minds about him. And for those of us who have spent some time with him, have experienced him as he really is, his invitation to us is to invite others to experience him as he really is. So if you want to turn, if you have your Bibles, we'll be turning to John chapter 1. And it'll also be up on the screen. And would you pray with me? as we turn to scripture. Jesus, we thank you for the gift of your word this morning. And we do really thank you that you call us to yourself, that you want to make yourself known this morning. God, you are so, so big, so powerful, so kind that if you didn't show yourself to us, we really just would have no clue who you are. But we we come to your word, we come to the scriptures to see who you are, would you open our hearts and our minds this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be in chapter 1, looking at verses 43 to 51. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathaniel asked. And Philip replied, don't be such an idiot. No, he said, well, maybe if you know, you're not into finding the Messiah, that's cool. Maybe later, like, you know, if you're still interested later. Philip said, come and see. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, 
you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So digging into this story a little bit, Philip is a brand new follower of Jesus. How much do you think Philip knows about Jesus at the beginning of this story? I think maybe he doesn't know much more than what he says right there. He knew enough. The gospel has to be good news to us before we can share it with others. Philip had discovered something good. And when we discover something good, we share it. Many of us are willing enough evangelists. I will tell you, my favorite TV show, grocery store, restaurant, because I like them and I think you will too. But when it comes to Jesus, we can get a little quiet, a little shy. Philip didn't know that much about Jesus, but he knew enough to know that Jesus was what Nathaniel would be looking for. How would Nathaniel have felt if he had not encouraged, or how would Philip have felt if he had not encouraged Nathaniel to come experience Jesus? I think he would have felt fine. Fine, the same fine that you and I feel every day when we don't encourage our family and friends to come experience Jesus. But how did he feel after he invited Nathaniel to come and meet Jesus? After Nathaniel had this amazing encounter with Jesus? I mean, he felt fantastic, right? Watching our family and friends come and, and experience Jesus in, in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it's amazing. There's nothing like it. The joy of seeing friends come and experience Jesus. It's worth bringing up an awkward topic. On the, on the other side of this clumsy conversation, after the awkward ask, after the chance of rejection, there's real excitement. To put it in language that uh, we can understand, uh, Philip's conversation with Nathaniel looks something like this, and this is what most of our conversations look like too. On the other side of nervous and clumsy is excited and joyful. If we're waiting for an easy spiritual conversation, it may never come. I think of one of my friends in Providence, and we've been friends for about a year now, and I was waiting for an easy spiritual conversation with her. You know, I talk about the church, what we were doing at the church, different topics, um, talk about, you know, my life. Jesus comes up as part of my life. Um, she'd listen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, cool. And uh, it just never really materialized into anything. But we're good friends. I felt like we had a solid relationship. And about a month ago, I said, you know what? Like, I'm the one who knows Jesus. Like, why, why am I waiting for her to say, oh, Sarah, please tell me all about Jesus. I just asked her. Like, I didn't know. I said, you know, do you believe in God? Because, you know, I, I didn't know. And we got into a conversation about how do you know if God exists? What is God like? Um, it was a really wonderful spiritual conversation where I got to share the gospel with her. Um, I will be getting her a Bible very soon. Um, but just really opened up a wonderful conversation because I said, I'm going to stop waiting for her to do all the heavy lifting. If we're waiting for an easy spiritual conversation, it may never come. But if we are open to starting spiritual conversations, we get the joy and the excitement of seeing our friends and family start to experience Jesus. Moving on to look at 
Nathaniel's response. His question here is somewhere in between a stereotyped elitist comment about people from Nazareth and a sincere question from somebody who knew that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem and not Nazareth. The question, I I think it should sound kind of offensively prejudiced to us, you know, and I think it is, but it's also that as an observant Jew, he knew where the Messiah was supposed to come from and it wasn't Nazareth. I just really like Philip's response. He doesn't throw in the towel with the first question. He doesn't say, Nathaniel, you're, you're just like a racist idiot against people from Nazareth. He, he keeps going, but his response, it doesn't argue the point, it points to Jesus. When we preach this like religious system, we have to own it. When we preach Jesus, he owns us. If Philip was preaching this religious system, he'd have to own it. He would need to have a proper defense for the question, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Boom, three-point rebuttal, uh, everything laid out, listen to my argument. But he's not preaching a religious system. He's preaching Jesus. So he just says, come and see. Philip is actually a really good example of a witness for, for right now, for the 21st century. As we've moved into postmodernism, um, things have really shifted from being all about facts and figures to being about experiencing. We see this in education. Um, pedagogically, we've shifted to more experience-based and less memorizing facts. The biggest trends in entertainment are experiential. Um, and it's true in our spiritual lives, too. We want more show and less tell. We tell people about Jesus, but then we want to get people experiencing Jesus and seeing Jesus for who he really is. Honestly, I've found that talking about Jesus is not that difficult. Talking about Christianity can be controversial, but Jesus is easy. He's attractive. He's compelling. As we've said, there's never been anyone like Jesus before. The gospel is not a what. The gospel is a who. It's a person. It's God wrapped up in humanity. Jesus, who knows us, who sees us, who sees Nathaniel sitting under the fig tree, whatever the significance of that was for him, who sees us and who calls out the best in us. Are we surprised by what Jesus says about Nathaniel? Like that sounds like some major props to give a guy who's just asked, can anything good come from Nazareth? Jesus says, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The word for this, um, dolos, means guile or, or trickery. Jesus isn't saying that Nathaniel's perfect. He's saying that there's an honesty about him. And we see that as Nathaniel is, is open-minded and responds honestly and openly to Jesus. And I think this is really true about authentic encounters with Jesus. In authentic encounters with Jesus, we can leave like corrected or, sh- or shown our flaws, but we always leave encouraged and built up in the good. Our Christian theology, it starts with creation. 
that we are made in the image of God, that in our restored selves, we, we have more beauty and goodness in us than we can ever imagine. It starts with creation. What happens next, sin, the fall, that's secondary. When we really meet Jesus, he just, he loves us and he just calls out the best in us. When we bring our friends to Jesus, Jesus will not look at them and say, oh, she really does need to get her life together. You're right, Sarah. She is tough to deal with. Jesus looks at them and just sees the best. Says, She is a wonderful mother. Look how she cares for her children. Look, someone in whom there's no greed. He sees the best in them. And we'll be like, oh, huh, look at that. I didn't realize that before. Jesus calls out the best in us because he loves us so deeply. I think we are really surprised by Jesus' assessment of us and of our condition. One author that I like, he says, The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever thought. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. As we share our faith, I think that encouragement is really important. I think of one woman who was with us in uh, Providence and um, didn't have much of a church background and uh, had been to maybe one or two Bible studies. And uh, I was out at a uh, coffee shop having coffee with her. And I just really felt called to encourage her. Um, Sometimes when you're not a part of something, you think, oh, you know, I don't know if this is for me, this is for other people. Um, But I really saw that, you know, she would be a great follower of Jesus and she would love following Jesus. I wanted to encourage that in her and call that out in her. Um, So I just told her that, you know, I see her, her kindness, her commitment, her dedication, um, that I think that God's really doing something in her life. I can see as she interacts with scripture, um, as she asks questions, as she starts to pray for things, really God's calling on, on her life. And I think it was an important an important piece of her faith journey as she started following Jesus was being encouraged in that. Not only does Jesus call out the best in us and encourage us to faith, he also completes our identity and fulfills our deepest longings. If we look in verse 50 and 51, Jesus is referring to a very famous passage in Genesis. Um, Genesis chapter 28 tells us what would have been a familiar story to Nathaniel. Uh, Jacob is in Bethel, and he's asleep for the evening. Uh, Starting at verse 12, uh, he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the east and to the west, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Then Jacob awoke. He thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. 
It is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Jacob, who is a founding father of Israel, meets God at Bethel. He has this vision of heaven open, angels ascending and descending, and God establishes his good plans for the people of Israel. Jesus brings this story up again. He refers to it, tells Nathaniel that he too will see heaven open and God establishes good plans for Israel. Nathaniel at this moment, I mean, this is like, he's leaning into like what, the, what he's been waiting for. Jacob was a founder of Israel. Nathaniel is a devout Israelite. Jacob had a vision of an open heaven and Nathaniel is told that he too will experience it in person. Nathaniel meets Jesus. Jesus says, you've met me. You'll see an open heaven. I think what he's saying is that he is heaven opened. Jesus has come down from heaven. And when we see him, we see heaven opened. What God has revealed in history to Jacob has started to the people of Israel. What God has revealed is completed in Jesus. What Jacob saw in a dream, Nathaniel has seen in the flesh. Heaven has been opened. Heaven has been made accessible to us through Jesus. We don't need to go up to heaven. Heaven has come down to us. The place where this happened is Bethel. Jesus is saying that he is the new Bethel. He himself is the place where we get to meet God. What Nathaniel had been, been longing for, what he'd been pushing for, trying for, what he'd been a good Israelite for, it had just been suddenly opened wide to him as he meets Jesus. When Nathaniel declares his faith in Jesus, he says it a little differently than most of us would probably. He says, you are the king of Israel. Jesus tells him a tr- he's a true Israelite. True Israelites follow the king, the true king of Israel. Jesus calls out his identity as a true Israelite, and Nathaniel's statement of faith uh, completes his identity by following the real king of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of Nathaniel's deepest longings for purpose and identity. And this is what it's all about. This is what Jesus wants for us is to realize that in him, we have found what we're looking for. In him, he's made accessible to us the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. And if we've already experienced some of that, Jesus wants us to have the joy of inviting others to be part of it. And we get to do it. It's a joy. It's excitement. So a couple of questions for us um, as we start to wrap up. When we share our faith... Are we sharing a what or a who? Jesus is the new Bethel. He's how we meet God. Sharing Jesus is really just what it's all about. Some of these other questions, some of these other controversies just don't compare at all to sharing the focal point of our faith, sharing Jesus. Next question, as I, as I think about Philip's uh, interaction, I think about how I Uh, interact with people, do we allow people to change their minds about Jesus? You know, if someone says, oh, you know, I'm not religious, I'm not into whatever, do we we say, okay, well, that's going to be the way it is, like, forever? Or do we allow people to change their minds 
about Jesus. I changed my mind about a lot, right? And I appreciate it when people allow me to change my mind and don't hold me to what I've said forever. Do we allow people to, you know, explore and experience over the course of years as they, you know, interact with different tragedies, different joys, different experiences? Do we allow people to change their minds about Jesus? And then are we willing to hold out a simple invitation to experience Jesus and not be deterred by hard questions? Questions are good. We need to be glad that our friends and family are asking questions. People may have had really difficult experiences with the church. That's real. I mean, it's it's tragic. Um, But, like, that's fine. Jesus is bigger than that. It's not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be afraid of to to be digging into some of these hard things. Then I think about, do I, like Jesus, call out the best in people? I just think that encouragement uh, is just so powerful, and affirmation is a spiritual gift. Really affirming the good, true things in people. Like, people don't need to be told, like, oh, you're a nice person, or you're, you're a good athlete. Like, people get told that enough. But really affirming the good, true things that God has done in people. Character, honesty, kindness, courage. To see that and to call that out, I really think is a spiritual gift. And then, do we see Jesus as the fulfillment of what we and those around us are really seeking. You know, I look at this verse, um, verse 50, um, you will see greater things than that. I just think we have just scratched the surface of what it means to follow Jesus. It's like we've got the training wheels on the bike and, you know, dad's hand is still holding on to the back of the seat. We are just getting started. There is so much for us to experience, the joy, the peace, the completion of following Jesus. Everything is found in him. What we're longing for, our our healing, our purpose is found in Jesus. Do we see him really that way? Our worship team, you guys can uh, come on up. Uh, We're going to move into a time of Encountering Jesus through song, praying um, as we as we sing, um, but as we move into worship, whenever we have a story like this, there are different people who we identify with in the story. Here we've got three options. Um, probably we're not going to identify with Jesus so much. I mean, if you identify with Jesus, okay, um, we can talk about that. Um, but most of us uh, are going to identify with either Philip or Nathaniel. I think those are two good people to identify with. Um, Nathaniel, coming with, with real questions for Jesus, openly, honestly, seeking and searching. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's not you know, the best response, but he's open-minded, and he's willing to be brought to Jesus, to ask him questions. How do you know me? I think that's a good place to be this morning. And then some of us are going to identify more with Philip. That we've found Jesus, however much or little we know, doesn't matter. And we're going to our, our friends and our family and saying, I've found what I've been seeking. Come and see. Come and experience Jesus with me.
So let me pray for us as we move into a time of worship. Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to yourself, that you invite us to come to you honestly and openly, Jesus, with what we're struggling with, with the good and the bad in our life, Jesus. Um, You take it all, you redeem and restore our experiences, you redeem and restore us, give us new hope and new purpose. So Jesus, this morning we bring all of who we are before you, and we say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen.